0: Hey, welcome back, loyal listening audience. This is Noggin Notes. It is our podcast. And you already know that because you download it and you're listening to it. You know, something else you can download is Audible. Get the Audible app and go log into Audibletrial.com slash Noggin Notes. And you know what? If you sign up for their free 30-day trial, not only will you get a free audiobook, but you'll be helping out this podcast. I've already done it. Go to audibletrial.com slash Naga Notes. Register. Sign in. They give you a little quiz. It tells you what books are going to be designed specifically for you and your tastes, and you'll get a free one. You'll register. There's no commitment. You can cancel anytime inside the first 30 days. And you still get to keep your audiobook. I'm currently listening to Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, which is stunningly not what you think it is. I, I think I went uh, my whole life not wanting to listen to it because I, I, I had some presumptions about what this book was going to be. And it's nothing like I thought it would be. So go to audibletrial.com naganotes Get your free 30-day trial with Audible and you have access to their completely unmatched inventory of audiobooks, as well as news and entertainment and creations of all sorts through their vast library. It's, it's really cool. There's nothing like an audiobook to pass the time while you're mowing the lawn or preparing food for dinner or driving to and from appointments. audibletrial.com slash help helps support us and get access to an amazing library of audiobooks. Today's podcast is Adam Sikorsky. He's a good friend of mine. He's a financial advisor. He lives in Alaska and he is the founder of Change Wealth Advisors. Change originates from the idea that he wants to help make social change across the globe because part of his missional philosophy with Change Wealth Advisors is to fight trafficking, both sex trafficking and human trafficking, Adam is doing really good work, and today we talk about the psychological aspects of investing your money and making your money work for you. I think you're going to find this fascinating. I know I did, and uh, I always learn something from every one of our guests, even if they're really good friends, Uh, maybe even perhaps because they're good friends. I'm listening a little more closely because I'm playing the role of podcast host as opposed to just friend uh, rapping about stuff. So hopefully you take something from this. This is Adam Sikorsky and my interview of him on the Naga Notes podcast. It's about the psychology of investing your money. Enjoy. So in today's podcast, we're talking with Adam Sikorsky from Change Wealth Advisors, changewealthadvisors.com. Hello, Adam. Good morning or afternoon. It is whatever it it may be, (laughs) wherever you may be listening, as uh, Colin Cowherd uh, says. Uh, Yeah. So greetings to you, listening audience. Um, totally lost my train of thought, which makes for great radio. Uh, but, but we're talking, we're talking with Adam because Adam is not only a long time friend of mine, but also change wealth advisors is a partner with Zephyr wellness, uh, because you guys have a a very cool missional philosophy behind what you do. And I'll let you talk about that. And it aligns with what Zephyr's trying to do uh, as far as being innovative and philanthropic and giving back to the community and so forth. But what fascinates me about your work is that you don't just take, people's money and make it grow for them you do it with intentionality and purpose and anybody who's listened to this show for any length of period of time knows that my favorite word in counseling is intentionality and i think it's really good for the listening audience to understand that financial planning wealth management financial advisement are all supposed to be done with a great deal of intentionality and with almost the same level of care as the the health field so I, that's my tee up for you go ahead and you know <laughs> Take talk it from there. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe maybe we start with uh, who you are and where you come from give a little verbal resume
1: yeah so uh, my name is Adam Sikorsky I'm the founder of change wealth advisors and uh, I'm based in Anchorage Alaska and I also operate in Reno sparks and uh, the my background is uh, I've been a wealth in wealth management for almost 16 years now i've been investing for about 26
0: i didn't know and it was that long that's yeah. crazy
1: so i started uh 38 Time ther- flies. at the recording of this podcast i'm 38 years old and uh, started investing when i was 12 and it was something that fascinated me on an intellectual side i'm a kind of a math geek a little bit or was at one point in my life and um <clears throat> so investing uh was interesting to me and you know the exponential function compound returns it sort of clicked at a young age which is uh strange for that to click at a young age. Um, but so, uh, yeah, I had a very positive experience and I think because of that positive experience I was fortunate enough to pursue this as a career. And, um, early on, you know, my, my experience, I think like most was that I viewed investing as, uh, the purpose of it was to make money and to make money turn into more money. And that was the goal. And so I was getting up every day as a kid and monitoring the markets and, uh, researching mutual funds and stocks and all sorts of things. And over the course of that journey, you know, my collegiate education as well as, you know, professional experience, started to realize that it was completely different. And most people still focus on uh, the text of investing, which is uh, rates of return and contributions and stocks and all of those things, and what's a good investment and what's going on in the economy. Um, But what really matters is uh, what finances support, And what finance Mm. support is ultimately your personal life and what drives your personal life in my belief um, or from my perspective is uh, driven by your internal value set. So the conversations that I lead off with people, traditionally when people come to me and we start speaking for the first time, they lead off with how much money they have to invest. They ask me what my minimum is uh, and my minimum is based on a personality connection, not how much someone has to get started with. And or has to invest, Um, but they usually lead off uh, with finance as part of the discussion because that's what they think it
0: is. Right, that's what we've been we've been coached to believe. It's it's about how much do you have, and um, there's there's some level of of concern that you know I don't have enough. You know I'm not worthy. (laughs) I'm yeah. not worthy of your advice because uh, I only have X amount of dollars in the bank. And I don't I don't even want to throw numbers out because it will or artificially I'm, craft people's uh, sure. understanding. Sure,
1: or, or I'm more than worthy because I have a certain amount.
0: Oh, that, And yeah, uh, sure.
1: <clears throat> that's always fun to... To play with uh, or dismiss. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I I, uh,
0: I want you to talk about co- text and context because I think that's really important. As a conversation we had last night, uh, as soon as you got in town, and it was something that I it, it very much closely parallels counseling, mm-hmm. uh, and it was something I had not even considered with regard to how. Uh, investing works so talk talk a little bit about text versus context and then um, if you would please explain the the whole like structure of inviting somebody into this process because you say you 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 make this decision based on personal connection not based on somebody's bank account Um, so help help us understand what that is and why why this is the new emerging wave in in financial investment
1: yeah or i don't even know if it is the emerging wave but i guess it's my wave that i'm right it will be Yeah, we're, we're going <laughs> to it so, starts yeah. with it all started <laughs> with, with a one. podcast yeah. butterfly flaps its wings, chaos theory here we go yeah. so uh you know text and context uh, what we were speaking about last night uh really is that you know most people today uh a predominant form of communication is text whether via phone or email and uh communication is you know uh universally uh, the majority of it's through body language. Uh, everybody yeah. understands no matter what culture you're from, no matter who you are, where you are in the world and how old and young, you understand body language, facial expressions and those cues. And then we speak and we have tone and language, and then we have the written, our, our written language. And so, um, we, in, that order, by the in way. that order, in that order, in that order. <clears throat> and, uh, in the last five or 10 years, that has completely changed where our focus of communication is text. And so we have no context for what a lot of people say, uh, I can shoot a text to someone says, hey, you're a dummy, and that means one thing, but if I put an emoji on it, depending on the emoji that I use can mean a completely different thing. And the reason why the emoji changes it is because it provides a cartoonish uh, facial expression, right? which – Everybody universally understands, which is why those emojis work and actually help bridge the gap of the shortcomings of text communication. And, and I've
0: and I've talked a great deal on this podcast about emotional functioning and and uh, Carol Izzard's work. You can check out more if, if you're just joining this podcast for the first time. Now, um, go back and listen to about uh, December ish. I did a five part series on emotional functioning and understanding our ten core emotions. And Carol Izard is the guy from whose research I drew that. And he studied emotions for 50 years, and what he found through his research was that with about 94% accuracy, we can discern what emotion a person is feeling by their facial expression. Mm-hmm. Among those ten, and those ten are very important, and, and I'm not going to get into them here. But the, the point is that with your emojis now, we're we're plugging the hole that normally lacks when you write a letter, mm-hmm. when you send an email, or when you send a text message or post something on Twitter. Yeah. So go ahead.
1: And, yeah, no, and uh, um, I mean, I'm sort of thinking my way through, uh, you know, people sort of make fun of emojis and like, oh, if you use emojis, you're a 12-year-old girl. And as I think about it, I'm like, actually, we should be putting emojis into every single sentence that we write. Yeah, right. If you think about it. Um, Unless you know the person super well. Yeah, and you know, and there isn't a need for tone or, you know, things like sarcasm and jokes and satire. They really help with uh, the benefit of tone and facial expression. Um, But So yeah, so with with communication, uh, you have text, but without context for what's being said, uh, has grounds for being misinterpreted. And when it comes Mm -hmm. to, um, investing, investing, uh, when you look at the amount of money that you have, uh, the rate of return that you're getting, what investments, uh, are expected to achieve that what's going on with XYZ stock or what's going on in China or whatever it is, you know, whether or not the president is feeling well this morning. Um, And how that's going to influence our economy, or the expectations of our future economy—it's all ultimately just noise. There's no signal in it. It's really just noise. And uh, if there is something of value in it, it's really just text. And what's really important is what that uh, what your finances support. And so, the context for hey, I have a million dollars, or ten million dollars, or ten dollars, or you know, I'm a million in the hole—is well, what is the what are the things that I'm trying to achieve? Um, and the thing that bridges that gap is ultimately a plan. Now, a lot of uh, old school financial advisors, um, and I, I would put myself in this category early on in my career because it's the where I started in the early 90s, was that the focus of investing was looking at the markets, betting on stocks, listening to analysts from companies that were almost always wrong. And... <laughs> um <clears throat> thought that they had some uh, ability to see into the future um, ahead of, you know, better than everybody else. I don't, well, I mean, I'm not going to give away my secret for that, but...
0: (laughs) My uh, wand broke, and I've I've been very transparent about my wand breaking, (laughs) and I've never found a shop to fix it.
1: Well, and and I always say you can buy a crystal ball on Amazon, but it doesn't work very well. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so... uh, It's sort of a... um, Focusing on the weeds, and there's no no thing that keeps you focused on the things that are important. So like the why behind why you're investing or the why of why you're doing anything at the end of the day, uh, which is ultimately going to serve some core function, such as survival or connection or communion or promulgation or something like that. And so uh, I, I, you know, my, my process, you know, things have evolved and changed and uh, the industry has changed. And a lot of newer advisors and firms are focusing on having a more consultative relationship with people where, uh, what they call goals-based investing. So a lot of financial advisors these days, it's changing, and the conversations are starting to lean away from "this is a good fund and we should buy this and sell that" to "well, what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? Let's try to quantify those goals and figure out what they're going to cost today and what and into the future, and let's try to craft a try to uh, uh, map, path to get you there and create a plan. So keep you focused. Yeah. So
0: <clears throat> this sounds all familiar to to me and and probably to to most of our listeners. Um, but you take the goals. So the goal is, you know, I want to be able to retire and not be income dependent upon my job. Uh, okay. Very, that's a goal. Very common. Thing. Right. Um, and, and it's very, very common, like you say, but what you do is you, you take it out of the goals and put it into a context a that's right. Yeah. That's even beyond that. Explain that. Yeah.
1: So part of this is a, um, Simon Snack uh, echoes this in a YouTube video on a, a Ted talk.
0: Simon uh, Snack is who?
1: Uh, he's an author uh, motivational speaker he talks a lot about game theory leadership things like that uh, he has a number of like excellent books out there mm-hmm. uh, one I recently read uh, was called leaders eat last and it's um, talking about you know evol- evolutionary reasons for why the the alpha doesn't necessarily eat the main meal and you know why oh, that, yeah it's, it's really kind of cool I pick that up <clears throat> so um, but the idea is if you if you were focused on the the data the text the details that um, making decisions based on is this uh, is this going to be a good outcome then you're sort of lost and you don't have a reason for being in the game that you're in you lose the why yeah to the well what. you don't even have it you oh, just okay. have yeah, you just have a what and really you just have a that <clears throat> hmm. and then after the that you oh well what happened oh it, it what happened was it worked out in my favor or it didn't work out in my favor or it was neutral um <clears throat> But you have no, no context, and so you're making all these decisions without any reason for being there, which ultimately, when you get into game theory, uh, you are playing an infinite game with a finite context, and you will eventually run out of resources by someone who's driven by a purpose that's deeper than the reason why you Explain are there. Explain that, because
0: that sounds like a lot of lingo coming out. You're, yeah. you're driven by—you're <laughs> in a, an infinite game in a finite context— yeah, Where so, okay, so yeah. <laughs> to unpackage
1: this, so so Simon Sinek talks about game theory, and he basically... What is
0: game theory? Maybe we should break that
1: down first. Uh, we'll, well, we'll just say he talks about game theory and leave that there, but okay. what he talks <laughs> yeah. about is um, <clears throat> every interaction, everything that we participate in life is can be broken down and viewed as a game and, and it's an exchange, and uh, you want to always... Uh, like a
0: competition game or something you play for fun, or uh, what, what Or sort it? of both. Okay. Yeah, <clears throat> so uh,
1: in a sense, this conversation is a game. You and I are engaging... Uh, we mm-hmm. hope that it goes well. I hope to be invited back. You hope that people come back and listen more. And as long as we play the right way, things are going to go in a positive way. Oh, so <laughs>
0: so a game in 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 so far as there there's rules and there's expectations yeah. of what the players are going to do. Yeah. Not necessarily that the, somebody's going to beat the other person. Yeah. Okay. So
1: so Simon Sinek basically says there's finite games and there's infinite games. And a finite game is a a game that has a set rule. Uh, uh, like baseball baseball nine innings team yep. with the most runs wins wins okay. and then you play until if you're tied at the end of nine right. you play until someone out outscores which them. is the beauty of baseball is that it's yeah. untimed and i don't care what you think about that i'm right <laughs> so so in a finite game there's uh there's agreed upon rules everybody comes and it's an it's a stable environment because everybody's there for the same reason it it starts it ends and it's done an infinite game is one that goes on in perpetuity. So things like survival and promulgation and economics and things like that war, mm-hmm. um, uh, the cold war, for example, was an infinite game being driven by values. So democracy versus communism. Uh-huh. And it was actually a stable environment because the participants in the cold war were driven by infinite values, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those don't go away. They were there before America was here. They're, they're going to be long here after all of us are dead someday.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so values live on infinitely they've always existed and always will. And so if you're playing a game that's driven by values, you are approaching what you're doing with an infinite mindset.
0: Wow. I'm here with
1: staying power, no matter what the short term, uh, fluctuation or environment is. This is why companies have mission statements. Correct. Okay. And
0: and value statements specifically. yeah,
1: Yeah. And so if a, if a company truly lives those out, uh, bringing it down sort of to a more micro level to a company, um, they will have staying power in an economic environment that other companies won't. And the companies that are not playing based on uh, values, but they're be, they're they're playing based on profit, maybe <clears> for example, profit imitation, uh, chasing a competitor, yeah, whatever it might be,
0: P- performance for the shareholders. Yeah, so or,
1: so let's think yeah. about uh, let's say Amazon right now is you know arguably one of the largest companies on the planet, mm-hmm. and. Uh, You know, Jeff Bezos is he's got all these things that he wants to do and he's driven. Mm -hmm. And then there are other people out there who look at that and go, hey, that's a really cool thing. I'm going to copy that and do that, too. Well, they're not driven by the same thing that he's driven. I got you. So eventually, if things get completely really, really challenging, they will run out of staying power and give up. Okay so they're they're approaching economics business participation in the game that is economics with a finite mindset it's resource driven as opposed to values driven right and so i i come to the table and i look at it. okay well goals are finite they, uh, goals-based investing is way better than market-based investing, timing, trying to pick actively managed funds, whatever it is, the hot stock of the day, guessing where the sec, you know, what sector, what country, what's going to happen, what's going to give me the highest rate of return. Um, all of that is sort of the, uh, that or what based investing, you know, just the, the noise and the text and the minutiae, um, And uh, a lot of advisors now, again, they're talking about goals. What are the things that you want to achieve? Let's try to get you there and then figure out how much you need to invest, the rate of return you need to achieve, figure out an investment portfolio that's designed to get you that, um, hopefully. And that's all good, um, but it lacks purpose. Hmm. And so I've, uh, for example, had a conversation with someone who…
0: It almost also is, if I may interrupt you, it almost invites an are we there yet… Um, checking on things all you know, like a nervousness where if your values driven, you don't have to worry about the outcome because you're going to be there no matter what. But if you're, um, text driven, like you're saying, you're, you're, you're goal driven, you, you might be tempted just to constantly be checking. Are we there yet? Did we get it? Do, do, did I make my nut? Did I get to the, Oh, absolutely. You know? Which it,
1: causes anxiety, causes uh, right. all sorts of things. So, I mean, if you watch um, any sort of financial media, which is really no different than any in, in other form of, uh, today's news entertainment, um, It's everything is headline, headline driven, limbic driven, emotionally driven. Um, anyone who listens to this podcast knows that emotions are quite temporary. They're a wave mm-hmm. and they eventually settle and go away. You've been
0: listening. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Um, at least to, to you and others. And so, uh, so if, if what they're reporting is based on generating that response, that is a temporary Article that they're giving you, which at the end of the day is meaningless. They know it, and they have to give you another emotional high, uh, keep often, you an emotional often state, quite literally. Yeah. At
0: the end of the day, because at the end of the day, that news may no longer even be valid or current. So yeah. if I'm, or wasn't when they were reporting. It's a good it. point. Yeah, because things move so quickly.
1: Yes, and so they react rather than respond. They, you know, the twenty-four hour news cycle. They are under, uh, you know, ratings-driven, financial-driven pressure to to report rapidly, uh, but without without going deep into that, um <clears throat> the the type of news that they release is very uh it's very noisy. None of it is really meaningful or valuable mm-hmm. to an individual and their level and what they're doing. Um uh and it gets people completely tangled up in knots. But <clears throat> uh it you know at the end of the day if you're focused on goals, you know if I sit down in front of someone as a financial advisor and say, Hey, well, you know, Jake, what are your goals? What do you want to do? Oh well I want to retire someday. Okay, cool. Well how much what's your cost of living? Okay, well, you know, we do some math. Um, that's great, except for I have no context for why he wants why you want to retire i I have no context for why you want to be financially independent within a certain time frame or why you want to work indefinitely or why you're right, doing do I, the work that you're doing yeah 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 all that if you yeah, I get if you walk out the door is that going to be a meaning uh a life that lacks meaning even though it has financial stability um I've sat with couples who uh They said, "Hey, we each. uh, This one's easy because it's huge numbers and it's and it's lofty." Uh, But I I sat with a a couple who they're both neurosurgeons, Mm -hmm. and they said, "Hey, we want to have, you know, in twenty years we each want to have ten million dollars, and we want to peel off half a million dollar income each. Here's where we're starting. Here's our income. Can we do it?" And so I did the math, and I was like, "At the end of the day, you're going to have to break yourself in half, and you (laughs) you can, but you're going to have to break yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, You're going to have to live super lean, you know, based on what they make. Um, They could." maybe pull it off. Um, but I said, where did you come up with, you know, 10 million each and nice the, round number. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the, all it is. Yeah. And so I said, well, we want to have a really nice life and we want to live on a, you know, this type of life. And what if something happens and we, you know, we have to be put in a care facility that's going to be expensive. I was like, okay, well we can quantify all that, but what happens if you, what, what, what if maybe that only costs 4 million instead of 20, mm-hmm. um, and what if you spend your entire life breaking yourself and sacrificing, living um, a very modest life to get to this posh life at the very end, and you get there and it's empty,
0: or like, you not, don't get there because you broke yourself in half? Yeah, it's, it's wholly unsatisfying because yeah. you look back on the forty years that it took you to get to the to the nineteen that you got left. Yeah, and and it's just it's seems stressed out, empty. Stress out, of a heart attack, sh- stroke. Totally, and Totally, totally, yeah.
1: And so, um, so at the end of the day, you know with them specifically, I went through my process and I helped them realize that they didn't need anything close to that to have the life that they wanted. And, and they have the desire to have a pretty nice life or by most people's standards, um, they have the means to do it. They've sacrificed with time and education and, in, you know, investment and in, in what they're doing professionally. Um, but when we talked about what they're, you know, I said, Hey, before we talk about finances and goals and all that, what do you want your future to look like? Like paint me that picture. And this is the, the stage where I take it beyond goals to a higher level that I call vision and values. So I say, paint a picture of what you want your future to look like, like today's retirement date, you're going to do
0: something for the rest of your life. Tell me what that looks like. Just paint the picture. Um, How often do you get a blank look or silence from your clients when you ask them that?
1: Well, Typically, I do it on a worksheet, so I'll have a conversation with someone, and then if they want to move forward with me, I'll say, hey, I have a worksheet, a process that I go oh, okay. through. okay, so you, you pre- so I start. them. Yeah, okay. I basically say, to move forward with me, to be, to become a, a client who I'm going to serve, uh, there's a process. And so mm-hmm. if they want to engage and say, hey, I want to go to the next steps, I, I spoke with you, I'm comfortable with moving forward, um, let's see how this goes, uh, we start with vision and values. So I sent them a worksheet, and they the in writing they're painting a picture of what they want their future okay. to look like. Okay, so this and isn't dropped
0: in on their in their
1: lap. No, no, no. Well, out some, of the blue. Sometimes it is. Yeah. You know, if it's in my living room, they're playing with my dog, and we're having that conversation. Yeah. Um, By but, the way, uh,
0: what do you represent? Mm, what? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Tell me your deepest, darkest secrets now. Um, <clears throat> so I'll send them a worksheet that basically says, "Paint your paint your picture of what you uh, paint the picture of what you want your future to look like. What's the vision? Because We can. We have the ability to negotiate with the future. We can't control it, but we can negotiate with it. And
0: that's a cool quote. I might steal that. I'm
1: pretty sure I lifted that from Jordan Peterson. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it's not my own. (laughs) Um, But it really resonated with me. I, I think he even said, "He goes, you know, the past is in the past. The present is now, and the future is this really." interesting thing that you can negotiate with that's always changing but you sort of have this weird relationship with it in mm-hmm. your negotiation with it and uh <clears throat> i guess in theory you're sort of playing a game your game theory plays into the future so uh so paint a picture of what you want the future to look like and when you're painting a picture you don't put 3,967,248 dollars into it mm-hmm. it's well, I want to be spending time with my family and and I want to be traveling and I want to be doing these things and what's meaningful to me is spending time with my children or grandchildren or not, uh, whatever it is. Uh, I want to be buying gifts for people. It starts to get into like love language and um, Mm -hmm. connection and those types of things. And so uh, I start there and after they've painted that picture, I say, okay, cool. We we know what you want your future to look like. Now, why do you want it to look that way? This gets into values in the infinite game. And so... Like, well, what are the things, what are the core themes that are driving, like, that are being communicated by that uh, expression of what you want the future to be? And it's things like independence and it's things like communion and connectivity and love um, and sacrifice and giving and uh, philanthropy and altruism and all sorts of really cool stuff. And most people uh, I've found don't even think like that. And so when I send them the worksheet, they'll email me back and like, "Hey, this is going to take us a couple of weeks because I've never thought like this."
0: And so I'm going to have to be really—that's
1: uh, kind of sad, right? Reflective. Like, well, like yeah, I mean, if you think about it, you're, yeah.
0: you're, if you've never thought about those things, maybe never is a little extreme. But if if people are saying this kind of thing, like, "Well, we haven't really considered this," it it's it's almost indicative that they've been living their lives as uh, automatons. Like yeah. not driven by anything but but maybe just a, or, in our field we call them introjects which is a bunch of beliefs that you've never bothered to question that came from somewhere else
1: or it's things they just haven't formulated and put at the front of why they're doing the things they're doing as as a something that creates context for them yeah. and purpose. Right. purpose and so yeah. that's Intent. just it so when they paint that out and go you know what the things that really really drive me are these things these values now we've got the why now we have the purpose and so now we have Anytime something, uh, as we go through the rest of the process with now defining goals and articulating those, we can say, okay, these are the things that drive you. This is what you want your future to look like. Now let's look and see if your goals actually are in alignment with that. Mm-hmm. Because if they're not, they're just wants. And you might achieve something that you want, but it will be less satisfying uh, than something that you truly is a goal that's in alignment with your internal value system. And
0: when well, Carl Jung talks yeah. about this too, and he says that people who are not aligned with their true self, the way that the, the inner divinity, the way that they're supposed to be made to walk the earth for a purpose, mm-hmm. if they're not aligned with that. They're going to suffer psychological distress. And I'm hearing the same type of distress in financial management, financial planning, uh, investing because I roll those all into one. I know you don't, but <laughs> I do because I'm a lay person. But when you, when you're talking about planning for the future, you, if your if your values are not in line with your with your wants, you're gonna have some measure of distress, even if it's just this emptiness that you're not really getting what you want. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, and I well and so to use a different um industry, look at uh sports and entertainment. There's okay. a lot of people who spend their entire life getting to the top and they report once they're at the top that it wasn't that it feels empty. They win the Super Bowl, they have the fame. Uh, they get the Oscar, the whatever the thing. They go home and they go, well, now it's what? It's now what? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And because they're chasing a what or a thing that ultimately uh, <clears throat> is, um, for some, it's super satisfying, but it's not the trophy that's satisfying.
0: It's achievement that's mm-hmm, satisfying. Mm-hmm. It's being able to look and go, wow, I did it. And achievement satisfying. is a value that's transferable across many media. Yeah. yeah. And
1: so... If it's respect that you're looking for, let's use the Oscars for an actor or an actress. If you're looking for the respect of your peers and they give mm-hmm. it to you, that's going to be very rewarding mm-hmm. as opposed to someone who's looking for an Oscar, feint, an Oscar exactly. Right. Or or maybe, maybe physical things or, you know, I know people who, they're very, uh, they really like stuff. They have a lot of gadgets and the Oscar's the gadget, mm-hmm. um, but... Uh you need to know why you're there or when you get there it will be uh, somewhat of it, I don't want to say completely empty, but there will be some emptiness or lacking there. And that can definitely happen when it comes to financial planning and goals and those things where you try to achieve something, you get there and you go, Oh, I don't man, I thought I wanted a huge house. It turns out it's just a pain to clean. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> I thought I wanted an acre and man, that's a big lawn to mow. Yeah. Um And it's costly. It turns out I don't like mowing lawns. I'm not a guy or whatever it is. And, Mm um, so it's, it's really dialing those things in, uh, and again, being driven by vision and values that creates the why that creates the purpose. And that's, uh, and the reason why I do that is because the market is noisy. It fluctuates. It always has, it always will. And sometimes it fluctuates wildly these days because of the mechanics of what is involved in trading. Uh, 60% of the volume of the market is computers, trading with computers, not people, it's rules-based algorithms and those algorithms get things wrong and they get them wrong to a, um, when it comes with market pricing and, uh, and things like that, they get them wrong to a more extreme, uh, uh, an extreme degree than people get them wrong with respect to their response. Mm. And so we have more volatility and more volume or greater ranges of volatility. The returns are still within normal ranges historically, but the volatility is higher. And so uh, that's fine for a computer because a computer has no emotional center. It doesn't care. It doesn't care. It's it's just math. It's Mm -hmm. just numbers. But we react emotionally. And so we we see a lot of volatility, good and bad, and uh, we respond emotionally. And so we respond emotionally to a a very big day in the market uh, with optimism that – is not necessarily realistic with respect to a huge down day in the market with pessimism. That's not, uh, not necessarily warranted to that degree. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden we start making decisions from an emotional state with the side of our brain that isn't designed to make decisions Correct. It's the wrong side of the brain and we get turned around. And so knowing that my belief is that you have to have, you have to know why you were there because uh, the stock market and the bond market and real estate and precious metals and all of those things, uh, it is an, it's, it's an infinite game. And if you're approaching it with a finite context, you will run out of resources, whether it's financial, emotional, uh, whatever it is, physical, whatever it is, as opposed to if you go, hey, I know there's volatility or I know there's stability or whatever it is. There's, there's all sorts of different approaches to investing and portfolio building, but um, I know why I'm here. I know why my money is positioned a certain way. And even though, um, you know, for example, maybe a portfolio uh, yields a 5% return one year in a market where everybody else made 20 and you aren't seduced by a return that is inappropriate because you know why your money's positioned a certain way, because it's right. designed to achieve a specific thing. And that specific thing, you know why it's important to you and why you're there and you have stain power or, uh, or the other things, you know, Maybe things go really well, and you go, okay, I know this is part of the ride, and I, I expect it um, to have a different outcome in the future. There will be a wide range of volatility or outcomes or whatever. But you don't I know get why so I'm excited
0: there. that you, you double down on it. Yeah, or, and you go, hey, oh, I've got more money. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. no, we have a
1: plan. Yeah. So it's, hey, we, you know, my process is let's paint a picture, let's get to know each other. Um, as much as you are comfortable with me knowing you, let's define your value so I know who you are. So that for myself and my business practice, I'm aligned with someone who I share values with. Um, not political positions, not faith, you know in religious positions, but values that I connect with and align and understand. Um, because I'm working to serve those at the end of the day, I'm using my expertise in partnership with someone who's someone at the same table, not on the other side of the table, but at the same table, they're bringing their resources. I'm bringing my expertise and it's a partnership that's mutually beneficial. And you
0: have ethics that guide that anyway. So even if I were one of those people who came in and said, no, Adam, I insist that I work with you, but I'm not doing your values thing. You would, you would not work with me. Correct. Right. And, yeah. and that's because your ethics in your profession dictate that you need to represent your client's best interests Correct. and, and, yeah. so I'm and you can't ethically reconcile that.
1: At an individual level, that's yeah. So I'm, yeah. A, I'm what's called a fiduciary. You know, I'm legally sworn to do what's in the best interest of the people I serve at all times, I'm not allowed to have any conflicts of interest. Even if there's a potential for the appearance of a conflict of interest, I have to disclose it, and not in the fine print. It has to be in big block lettering that's signed off on. And hey, you understand? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, and so it's a that's also rare air. Most financial advisors, only eight percent of financial advisors are fiduciaries, which means that ninety two percent have conflicts of interest built into their business model.
0: Wow. Yeah. And it's not. And, and to be clear, we have conflicts of interest all over the place, and they're not necessarily a bad thing. You want to be mindful of them. Um, and they're to be avoided if possible, but it's, it's not that we're just castigating all 92% of financial advisors yeah. who aren't fiduciaries.
1: Yeah. Or to, so to use a, um, let's, let's switch to a, uh, for example, uh, like a marriage counselor who's speaking to both husband and wife. They're not there to serve one party's interests. Mm-hmm. They're there to balance the interests and correct. make sure that that marriage is, is healthy. Absolutely. Right? Healthy. Correct. Yeah. Yep. So in theory that could, Create a, and there's a lot of situations where financial advisors are balancing the interests of the client, their parent firm, their income stream. And it's not that they're necessarily um, unethical, uh, but if a company is driving your income and they're deciding, they're making that decision based on what's most profitable for the firm, that they're going to give incentive to a financial advisor to say, hey, if you use these products, uh, these types of funds, these models, and this, these programs, we will pay you at a different scale than we will elsewhere. So what's the financial wow. advisor going to do? He's, yeah, They're well. going to do those things. And that doesn't mean that those pl- programs or products are inherently terrible and bad, but the interests are putting the company first. The judgment is clouded. The incentive is, say, well, I got to eat too. Mm-hmm. So they're now putting their interests sort of in balance with yours. Say, hey, this is good. It's not necessarily... But It's maybe not best for you, but it's not bad for you necessarily, but it's not being done with your interests first and in, uh, in all situations. So it's just a different.
0: So, the, the, so you might want to ask your advisor what his or her values are. And um, if or- they're a values driven person, they're not going to be swayed too much by. Uh, what percentage return they make off of a certain thing or, or what product. Or just ask them if they're a fiduciary or that. And if they'll yeah. sign a fiduciary pledge.
1: Yeah. Um, and uh, if they say yes, <laughs> you know, then they are. And then uh, if they have a different answer, then they're not. And you, uh, I mean, the simple Good question, things to be mindful of. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, things I suggest people say, like the person handling your money, which is ultimately handle- who's ultimately handling your future. Do you want them to be doing what's best for you in all situations? If your answer is no, mm-hmm you need to rethink your answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I don't care. Just... So as a, so, but you, but you were asking me if I would work with someone who rejected my process. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not, I mean, I'm not so hard lined where if someone pushes back and like, Hey man, I'm not really willing to go there. I'm like, okay, then get out of my office, <laughs> you know, or house. Cause I work. That from would home. be rude. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, I do, um, I mean, if someone's completely unwilling to go there, uh, I can usually figure that out, early, you know, early, early enough on in the conversation where um, I know that it's not necessarily going to be a good fit, and have some ideas for you know where they can look. Um, but I, I found that people are fairly—they uh, respond fairly well to it uh, if I communicate why I'm doing it. And so what I found is if you if you know why you're there and you have staying power, um, I mean there are numerous studies that look at the success of investors and the ones who. Um, achieve the things that are important to them and have the highest rates of return uh, and the ones who don't and the behaviors that go into um, successful investors and unsuccessful investors. Uh, the unsuccessful investors are the ones who are focused on the markets. They're focused on the the daily fluctuation, short-term fluctuation, even if it's mm-hmm. not daily, just short-term within a year or two um, and are, are focused on return rather than internal things that they're trying to accomplish. So I, I just, Express to people like, "Hey, we're not going to look at markets first. We're going to look at you as a person. And if you're not willing to go deep there, um, if you'll at least go there a little bit with me, um, then you know I'll, I'll sort of meet you in the middle. But if someone's completely unwilling, then and they're and they're unwilling to listen to why, I say, listen. I I have a job, mm-hmm. and I I have to make sure that you. I mean, I'm serving you, mm-hmm. and I'm partnering with you. And so, partnership requires trust. It requires you know we come to to the table together and I need to know why I'm getting up in the morning uh, so that you can be successful because what rewards me at the end of the day is not a, a big paycheck. What rewards me is seeing you spend time with your grandkids and realizing the things that are deeply important to you because that's deeply satisfying to me. And that's, that's the why behind why I'm here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I want to spend some time uh, talking about, because we've co- we've covered the financial stuff and that's really good. And I think that's very good information. It's good for me to hear. I, I'm learning a ton. I want to shift a little bit into your company and why you're doing what you're doing in the, in the style that you're doing it, because you have a, a community give back that's mm-hmm. very, very important. And I think now's an appropriate time in the podcast to have you share about that philanthropic side of your business you you call it dual mission though or dual what is it dual mission so uh
1: most i'd say businesses have a traditional business practice and focus mission uh, philosophy uh and uh ours is that we can do uh, a professional for-profit enterprise that also has a dual mission of philanthropy. So specifically uh, the issue of child sex trafficking is something that crossed my path when I was living in Los Angeles. And there was an organization called Zoe international that I uh, was fighting uh, sex trafficking in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And what they do is they go into these villages and rescue uh, children who are enslaved, rehabilitate them, um, educate them and uh, do their best to provide them with a bright future. And that's something that I didn't even really realize existed uh, when I was living in Los Angeles. This was when I was in my early 20s. And uh, when I moved uh, back to Alaska a few years ago, uh, it crossed my radar on a local level. And when I launched my practice, um, it was something that on the side, it was something uh, in my personal life that I was supporting the fight against, supporting organizations that were doing you know good works in our community and trying to have an impact. But it was completely separate from my professional life. And mm-hmm. I sort of had a, a realization uh, one day that uh, I saw no reason to uh, compartmentalize and separate them, and I thought that it would be um, good to combine them. So the dual mission of Change Wealth Advisors is to serve our community, serve um, the people entrusting us with their financial future, and then use our resources our financial resources, intellectual resources, creative capital, personal capital, spiritual, emotional, mental, intellectual, and give that to organizations that fight human trafficking as well. So not just donating money and helping, but actually being uh, intimately involved in um, many of the processes and um, things that are involved in fighting that fight.
0: What does that look like on a practical level? Um. Could you expand on what you mean by um, yeah? So practical? I mean, you, you say it's you know it goes above and beyond just donating uh, money. So what are the re- what are the resources look like when you say intellectual, spiritual? Um, you know, how are okay, you yeah. doing? Yeah, so
1: it? <clears throat> um, so we are uh, connected to uh, there's an organization called Priceless, uh, which is an initiative within an organization called Love Alaska, and the Priceless initiative is specifically focused on rescuing women from sex trafficking in the state of Alaska and rehabilitating them. And so beyond just giving them money, uh, we actually are strategically partnered with them to meet, come up with ideas uh, for uh, whether it's fundraising or creating awareness campaigns or um, uh, basically supporting them with what they need. So whether it's um, uh, events that they're putting on and spreading awareness and uh, speaking about the conversation, volunteering. Uh, One of the things that um, I helped, uh, create with uh, my rotary club in Anchorage, as well as um, an organization called for rendezvous is uh, a beer festival, which is basically celebrating Alaska culture cuisine and those things. But we use the funds to um, support priceless and not just cut them checks, but actually identify uh, impactful projects. So the funds we raised this year. We're targeting um, purchasing FBI designed laptops to go into the dark web and uh, identify victims of human trafficking in the state and oh, wow. rescue them out, as well as provide training to a cyber team to use those laptops, Wow, know how to identify people. So more than just like, Hey, here's a check, but Hey, how, what is it that you need and how can we involve ourselves in that? So being part of the cyber team training, recruiting for the cyber team training, um, really doing whatever it is that those organizations, uh,
0: need. You're, you're volunteering yourselves, uh, to help brainstorm. So instead of, I, I'm picturing this like, instead of just writing a check to an organization you would participate on the on the boards and councils that they hold Mm -hmm. uh, for you know public feedback brainstorming strategic planning that's really cool
1: as well as connecting other people who might be um, uh, interested in supporting them as well so um, you know a derivative of the beer festival was that you know, a lot of the brewers in the state of Alaska didn't even know that it was an issue. But then by participating in our beer festival, they became aware.
0: The awareness is inherent in the yeah. whole program itself. Yeah. yeah, that's cool.
1: And then through that, they are now asking, well, how can we support? How can we get involved? It's like, oh, well, we can um, brew beer and sell it and use those funds to sure. buy more laptops or buy clothes or build a facility or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really more than, again, just cutting a check and being isolated from it and being directly connected to it and connecting others so that there become there it becomes a local effort community effort where everyone is bringing themselves together to uh support the people who are victims of it and really ultimately eradicate it
0: i think there's a a value in being able to head up an organization because we do this something similar with zephyr we, we try to partner with as many community organizations as possible to to do exactly what you're talking about it's not just um writing checks. Cause, cause that's easy. It's, yeah. uh, it's harder to involve yourself in the daily ongoing conversations about what, what will be best for the organizations mm-hmm. that you're trying to help and then giving them feedback from a different perspective. Plus it, I think it just looks cooler to say, you know, my, my company logo is on that, um, flyer for that event or that fundraiser, as opposed to just my name as a person. I think it, it also brings a, a culture to the organization. Um, we have more employees than you do, but the idea is that you know our employees now are inherently invested in all these mm-hmm. uh, partnerships. So, you know, I as a business owner, you as a business owner, we have to be judicious in choosing these things because we want it to reflect well on our employees. and We want our employees to be invested. Um, but ultimately, I think that that almost uh, I, I hesitate to use the word corporate, but but the corporate partnerships I think almost bear more weight because it sounds cooler when you are a for profit giving your stuff away. Then, if you're a nonprofit, uh, where everybody expects you to give it all away,
1: yeah. Well, so the other, you know, the other thing is, it's far more, I'd say, enriching and rewarding because when you're involving yourself yeah. in whether it's events or causes or education or counseling or mentoring or just spending time with people, whatever it is, it's far more rewarding and enriching than cutting a check. Um, that's a you know a disconnect um, mm-hmm. and. It's not that those things aren't needed, and it's not that those things aren't beneficial, valuable, and good, uh, because finance is what supports all of those things. Um, but it's it definitely um, it definitely gives you more of a why and more of a drive. Yeah, and I think uh, it,
0: it makes the clients feel better too. About um, partnering with somebody like yourself who's doing this uh, philanthropic dual mission, uh, they know that they're not just padding the pockets of some other person who's going to give them financial advice but they're actually uh they themselves are contributing to this ongoing endeavor in in their own communities yeah
1: and this is part of i mean me practicing or wanting to practice what i preach with my process which is hey we're going to talk about the vision that you're painting for the future and the underlying values of that and so when i looked at you know launching my practice and those things i looked at uh the revenue that would be generated and the wealth that I would be managing. And I asked myself, well, what is it that I, what, what purpose do I want my money to have? Cause I'm asking mm, that of my clients. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, yeah. what purpose do you want your money to have? You're it's modeling not, it. Yeah, yeah. It's not just growing money into more money. It's what is this connected to? What is it supporting? What's the purpose behind it? And so, um, you know, I have personal life goals. I have lots of things that I want to do that, um, I'm going to enjoy, you know, sort of the fruits of my labor, so to speak. And I mm-hmm. want to have some fun and I'm a very adventurous person, but I want my money to have purpose. And so that's where sort of the idea of a, mm-hmm. uh, a dual mission, socially responsible without being social justice, warriory about it. And mm-hmm. without being like, you know, virtue signaling, but actually saying this is our drive. This is our core mission or purpose. Right. And um, it's highly rewarding. And yes, people connect to that. Uh, it's I've definitely received a lot of feedback where people say, Oh, I didn't, this is a different type of firm at the end of the day, we're still doing financial planning. We're still doing these things, but I like the fact that I'm partnered with a group or a firm that is practicing altruism, practicing philanthropy and doing these things in the community and not just patting their pockets and not just, um, you know, making a lot of money and they don't have any problem with that. I don't have any problem with that, but I want my, my money to have purpose and what I'm doing to have purpose.
0: So, of all the endeavors you could support, um, why sex trafficking? I think for me, uh, I should say why anti-sex trafficking? Yeah. Because that sounds really bad. You're not, we're not There's promoting so many. supporting <laughs> sex trafficking.
1: Yeah. The, uh, the, the slips, um, <laughs> uh, that happens so much when people speak, uh, it, yeah. it's, And it's always it's actually kind of hilarious because you can only laugh because it's such a dark subject. So you know, for me, there's a lot of atrocities in the world. There's a million things to fight. People need clean water. People need to be removed from war torn areas. People people need so many things. And we've all seen, you know, the pictures of the you know the starving child with the flies on them and those things. And those are those are heartbreaking. And you know, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot that needs to be done in this world. Um, But of all the things that I have seen. I haven't come across anything that was as dark as sex trafficking. And Pretty dark. Yeah, yeah I agree. And <clears throat> I've seen a lot of movies. I've seen a lot of things. And if you ask me to invent some dark situations, I could invent some really dark situations. And then when I hear the things that are happening to these victims and true victims, um, it blows my mind that humanity is capable of doing these things. And uh, so for me, I looked at that. I was like, well, if that's the darkest thing that exists or the darkest thing that I could think of, then that's where I want to be
0: involved. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Um, there's something about light and the, and the metaphor, that, uh, and I forget where I originally heard this, but it goes something effect of: There is no amount of darkness that can squash out any amount of light. So if you think about like, yeah. if you have a glowing hand on your wristwatch, um, it doesn't matter how dark it is; that that little glowing hand will always mm-hmm. uh, be bright, brighter than the darkness. And I think what you are doing is you you've willfully said, "I am going to tackle that. Yeah. That thing is hideous and awful, and I am going to bring light to that darkness." Mm-hmm. And I think that is just so commendable. It's really, really awesome.
1: Well, not only um, so, so not only is that true; there is no amount of darkness that can squash light because um, light counters it. But that light needs fuel, It needs an energy source, or it will die out or burn out you know if you light a match in the darkest of rooms it glows Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's finite resource so that's the whole you know the why behind the why and the drive i think the drive is the fuel for the light to keep it going
0: um yeah and and i you know and i think of some things that i've taken on and tackled recently and um when when they're accomplished you you go okay i i did that thing now what's next and it would be nice if we ever got to the point in our civilization where we could say that about tra- trafficking at all slavery it's, it's modern day slavery is what it is and um, you know and, and mental illness you know just just ridding the world of true evils and you go we're done we we've cured it you know that would be so remarkable that i think there'd be so much healing uh, i don't know that there'd be another thing we could look at and say well <laughs> Well, I guess I'll take on that thing. It's a little lesser than what I just did, <laughs> but yeah. you know, in the meantime, I, you're right. I think that the fuel is there because the evil is so deep and so permeating, and so it's almost never ending. And I don't, yeah. you know, I don't care to believe that. I think that the good will eventually win. Um, hopefully, it happens in my lifetime. That would be great. But so far, we don't have a lot of anecdotal experience that suggests <laughs> that 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 will happen uh, across at least the or history empirical. of mankind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Tell me, uh, let's shift to one last thing um, before we leave because we're coming up on like almost an hour now. And um, I want to know about uh, Bauer.
1: Bauer, the the ridiculous animal I named after my hockey skates. So uh, I have a fox red Labrador. He's three years old. Um, He's such a cool animal. And uh, so one of the things with Change Wealth Advisors is – I really do want to change people's perspective of wealth management. The, yeah, Bauer's got a blog. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And so dog blog. Yeah, <laughs> so we have a we have a I like to say a well earned poor reputation in financial services, and I want people to see that it can be done differently with purpose, with meaning, and that's all positive and not that selfish. sounds like mental health. Yeah,
0: we have a well earned poor reputation.
1: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I'm very much a, not a corporate guy. I like wearing hoodies and baseball hats and flannel. Um, and I like to do that in business meetings and in public presentations. I like to be relatable, uh, not necessarily casual, uh, but relatable. And I tell people I practice personal finance, not professional finance. And so, uh, I have Bauer on my website listed as a full-time employee. He's my <laughs> officially my chief tail-wagger and relationship enthusiast. He has a dog blog. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> that's, you know, one of the remarkable things about my dog is he has the ability to uh, write and uh, express his thoughts and so he writes about finance through the uh, framed lens of a dog who wants treats and rewards and he doesn't even have opposable thumbs, thumbs. And he doesn't he's got well he had claws. i had those removed <laughs> so it does hamper his uh his ability to type but every now and then he uh, he's able to get an idea or two out there
0: well uh i think all that's really good thank you for taking the time to to share all that stuff, I, I hope that it was helpful for, for somebody out there. Um, how do they reach you if they want more information?
1: Uh, so the website is changewealthadvisors.com. Uh, contact information, Adam at changewealthadvisors.com. It's all on the website. And uh, you can go there, reach out to me, email me. How My this, phone number is listed yeah. on the website. And, uh, yeah.
0: How do, how do people support the sex trafficking battle? In... But Wherever they are, I don't know. Do you have do you have national websites, internet? We are an international, oh, so there yeah. may be people so, listening overseas. I mean, so, I so you know. the
1: specific organizations uh, that I'm directly affiliated with, so Zoe International. Is that Z O E? Z O E. And they are they operate in Chiang Mai as well as Los Angeles. So they're based in Los Angeles, but their, their rehab facility and all that is in Chiang Mai,
0: Thailand. It's Priceless connected to Zoe, isn't it? Or no. They their so,
1: own so Priceless is a, an initiative of Love Alaska. So you can go to lovealaska.org and uh find out more about them there and uh, Covenant House Alaska is another organization that we support um, they they are less on the front lines of fighting human trafficking but they um, they bring homeless youth off the streets basically and oh, they've, wow. they've found that a high percentage of their youth uh, homeless teens have been trafficked whether forced yep. labor drug or sex Yep,
0: absolutely yeah. yep I've heard that uh, multiple times. Yeah. Homelessness is a problem, not just because people don't have homes, but because they become so vulnerable to becoming victims of other sorts of uh, nefarious plots. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, So Mm -hmm. lovealaska.org, Zoe International, uh, changewealthadvisors.com. Thanks, man. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Uh, Thanks it's for been great. Me. I know you come down a couple times a year to yeah. Reno and um, I was, I'm just really glad that we were able to have you on and talk about this stuff. Cause it is, it is a unique perspective. It's and and that's, that's what Zephyr is trying to do. That's what Noggin notes is trying to do. We're trying to bring new refreshing perspectives to things that maybe people have just considered um, one way and they, they haven't uh, they haven't moved off of that one way. And there are many new ways of doing old things Um you know, I, one of the, somebody brought recently to my attention that the phrase we don't need to reinvent the wheel is actually quite untrue because we have reinvented the wheel many, many times from its original uh, form and, uh, you know, to race car wheels and uh, and airplane to, wheels. and
1: yeah. We don't need to reinvent the circle.
0: <laughs> we don't need to reinvent the circle, right. <laughs> but we
1: can invent more wheels. We can also make yeah. wheels more efficient, streamline make them yeah. more aerodynamic. Um, yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah, and
0: I and I think you're doing that with your company. So thanks. Um, proud to have you as a friend, and proud to um, have you on the podcast. And I'm sure people got a lot out of this. So if you want to reach out to us, info at naganotes.com or info at zephyrwellness.org. Uh, as always, we appreciate your listenership, and we'll catch you again next time uh, on behalf of the Zephyr Wellness family and the Nogginotes team. Thank you, and we wish you great mental wellness.